I was in my uh, mid-twenties at the time. We had just had our first child, and uh, God had been orchestrating a few things in our lives. We weren't yet Christ followers. Friends of ours invited us to join them at their church, so we did. Uh, It was a busy Sunday that first day that we went there. Uh, It was a packed house, and the ushers, uh, they helped us to find a seat at the only seat that was available, front row. We sat there and we listened as Carl preached, and I could have swore he was talking directly to me. Over the next several uh, months, he, we heard him talking about things about sin and blood and lambs, and to be honest, none of it really made much sense to us. I didn't really understand what they were really talking about. Friends that we began making while we were there invited us to join them in their um, young couple's Bible study. So we went, being young parents, you know, we, we wanted to understand a little bit better, you know, who are these people, and we understood something as well, is that the people there, they, they had something we wanted. We couldn't quite articulate that yet, but that was kind of rolling around in the background. But we went to that young couple's Bible study, and we made more friends, and, and we learned from other people how to parent, how to have a better marriage, and we discovered in that as well that, that God actually was interested in our marriage, and God was interested in our parenting, and He wanted, help, he wanted to help us to succeed in that. Well, we got the liking the people around there, so we looked for ways to get involved, and, and we ended up helping out in the nursery. So we spent many Sundays with other godly men and women changing poopy diapers, talking about parenting and babies and life and also they began talking to us about what it meant to follow Christ. They began helping us to understand some bigger pictures, as was the group of our uh, Young Married's Bible, Bible study that we were a part of, and a group of friends that we generally sat with on Sundays. Various people pouring into our lives, helping us to understand that this whole God thing is real. Over time, a few months down the road further, uh, we were driving, uh, driving along one day, and I remember the conversation quite clearly, though some of the details have begun to disappear over the years. But uh, we're driving along, and I can't remember which one of us made the statement, is if this God thing is real, it changes everything. If this God thing is real, then, then our lives need to be changed. But if this God thing isn't real, then why bother going to church? What's the point in all that? Didn't take much longer after that. We decided to check out their evening service that they had, and it happened to be the night of the annual meeting. We sat in there listening to the leaders drone on about blah, 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 who knows what, didn't bother me any, I wasn't interested. And I sat there the whole time. We had been introduced enough to about following Christ that we had come to the point, in my mind, I had come to the point where I was ready to make that decision. This God thing is real. And I'd also been told that the baptistry up there that I saw as I sat out there in the the back of the, the church listening, I knew that was my next step. I needed to take that next step and follow Christ in baptism. So that night, we were. That cold February night, the two of us gave our lives to Christ and we were baptized. It was a cold night because I had hair then. And I'm pretty sure when I walked out of the building, my hair froze. It was cold. Along the way, I didn't understand about what it was to love God. But this I did understand, is there was something there among those people I wanted in on. I wanted wanted some of what they had, some of what they were presenting there. I didn't understand all about God. My faith at the beginning was simple, but I understood that God loved me. 
He was taking me from where I was toward where He wanted me to be. And I understood as well that when I gave my life to Christ, everything in life changed from that moment. You know, Moses had an aha moment like that. We've talked about Moses several times over the last several months. And how at the burning bush, he had that aha experience where he came to encounter God. And his life changed. From that moment on, everything about his life was different. He went on to have conversations with God as uh, writers of the Old Testament talk about how he, he spoke with God as one person would speak with another. And throughout the course of his time with God, he came to understand God in, in new and amazing ways. And he, he, that's been saved for us, some of his thoughts. One such place is Psalm 90. This morning, I want us to just look at the first two verses. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. If you have, you're using the YouVersion Bible app, the verses will be listed in there, but they'll be on the screen as well. Moses said this. He said, Lord... You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You see, we are living under the God of eternity. We are living under the God of eternity. God is eternal. And I know that's a difficult concept for us to understand. Eternity is. I mean, we struggle sometimes just to understand even the, the uh, expanse of thousands of years, but eternity, that, that, that is often difficult to understand, isn't it? Moses said that God was from everlasting to everlasting. Ancient Hebrews often used word pictures. You've heard me say this before. They often use word pictures to paint an idea of a reality. The, the words within the, that word picture, that, the image that they would utilize, they weren't the literal concept of it. They were pointing to something else. Word for everlasting uh, that he used in here. Uh, Hebrew scholars uh, you know, debate sometimes as to the origins of certain words. Well, this is one of those words that they debate. There's a possibility the word that's translated as everlasting, it may have derived from another word that means hidden something that is hidden would mean then that God exists from some hidden place to some hidden place. Now, don't, don't get bogged down in looking at this literally. That's not what the Hebrew writers did most of the time. Think of it a different way. Maybe Think of it in terms of figuratively or maybe even artistically. From a hiding place to a hiding place, from everlasting to everlasting. Another way that you could translate that then would be from vanishing point to vanishing point. Or from vision's edge to vision's edge. It carries the idea as if, imagine that you were standing on top of a mountain. You know, when we lived in Arkansas, there was a park we loved going to called Pinnacle Mountain. It wasn't a mountain. It was just an overgrown hill. But that's beside the point. It was a hill taller than all the others in the area. We loved climbing it. It was, it, was, it was a good time. You could get up there to the top, and you could look around in all different directions, and you could see just the beginnings of the curvature of the earth. You could look off to the east, say, and see how the earth just kind of drops off in the distance. Or look off to the west, and it drops off to the west. From vanishing point to vanishing point. You couldn't really see where does the horizon begin, or where does it end. There was this idea then that the Hebrews were using that was similar to that. God has been from that to that. This is who God is. 
You know, you could, you could almost picture it this way. Moses wasn't talking about distance. He was talking about time. God has been from everlasting time to everlasting time. You know, I got this rope sitting up here. Someone first service said, it looks like a tug-of-war rope. It does, kind of. Uh, one time I used to have a, a large rope that was from a, a, uh, one of the barges out on the river, you know, about like that thick. It was awesome. I loved it. I don't know what I did with it years now. But anyway, imagine, imagine that this is time, this rope. It has a, a beginning on one end and an end on the other. Now imagine everything else around is eternity. Time has a, a starting point and it has an ending point. It doesn't go for time, doesn't go for eternity past and eternity future. Time is just this right here. Stay with me here as we move on through this. See, God, He doesn't exist in time, He exists outside of time. He said to Isaiah in Isaiah 46:10, He says, I know, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. You see, God can come over here and stand at the beginning of time, so to speak, and He can look down and God can see the end of time without effort. Furthermore, God isn't restrained by time. God's not locked into it like we are. God knows all of time simultaneously. See, we ourselves, we have, you could say, an address in time. If, you, if when you came in, you managed to get one of these ropes here. Imagine this rope represents time. Piece of tape, this is your address in time. You live here. Us humans, we have this ability that we can, we can look to the past through our own personal experiences, through history. Can't go back there, though. And we're constantly moving into the future. We can't change that. This is our reality. We live in our address in time. But God isn't locked that way. God isn't, God isn't stuck that way. You see, God is transcendent. Remember, we talked about this several times. God is transcendent. That means He is beyond and above everything that is in terms of what He created. God is beyond all that. So God is not locked with time like we are locked with time. God exists outside of that. You see, God must exist outside of that for Him to be God. There's nothing that can limit Him. See, when God, when God looks at you and me, when He looks at us, when He looks, even let's say at the string that's in your hands, let's, let's pretend this is time. Any one of us, we can look at this, and we could, if we had a, mag, a magnifying glass, or decent enough bifocals anyway, we could look at this and we could see the individual strands in there. And we could, we could potentially even follow these strands all throughout the string of time. We could even see how they interweave within our address in time. And we could look at this millimeter by millimeter, but there is no way that us human beings could know the entirety of every piece of this string in an instant. We cannot look at all of it and understand the, the depth and magnitude of every single piece. Not so with God. 
God is, he is beyond us. He is also infinite in everything that he is. So that means when God looks at our spans of time, including our address, God knows every single detail of it without effort. This is God. God knows all of that. He knows every single bit of everything. That's how he's able to know the end from the beginning and how he's able to give to prophets knowledge about the future, things to come, because God knows it. And I know that brings up a difficult topic for us, something that often leaves us with unanswered questions. If God can look at the extent of time, every single bit, from beginning to end, and God knows it all, how is it that such a good and loving God could allow all the bad things to happen? I mean, if God was so good and loving, how is it that He could allow those natural disasters to take place? How is it that God could allow that bad thing to happen in your life? Don't have answers for that. As a matter of fact, I don't want to insult you by claiming to know something that only God can know, so I'll give you the the wisest answer that I can give you. I don't know. To be honest, I don't know why God allows some of the things that He allows. I do know that He gave every human being freedom to choose. Some people use that freedom to do things that honor God, to benefit other people, while other people use that freedom to hurt other people. Sometimes the bad things that happen in our world are because of people, and it's because God gave them the freedom to choose. If God were to stop them from doing that evil that they wanted to do, God would have to come along and stop all of us from doing the evil in our own lives. God wouldn't then have people who could choose Him to choose to love Him. God would instead have a bunch of puppets. God created us to enter into a loving relationship with him not be his puppet so sometimes people are the reason for the bad stuff in god's sovereignty he allowed that he created our world that way you know sometimes you're well aware of this there are some things that happen that are outside of human control we could call them natural disasters they may be on a personal level they may be on a a bigger scale Sometimes those things happen, and you know what? I don't always have an answer for this. As a matter of fact, most of the time I don't have an answer. Why? If God is so good, He would allow something like that. That's not a matter of freedom of choice of an individual. It's a difficult place, I understand. But nonetheless, even if I don't understand all of those details, I do understand this. For God to be God... These things that I've talked about here must be true. God must exist outside of time. If he was limited to time like we are, he could not be God. He would just be a powerful being, but not God. And to have a clear-cut answer on all of this would be a bit arrogant on my part. I'm not God. I don't have those kinds of answers. Which this brings us to a new set of issues, issues that we must deal with on our own part. As we understand that God created us for this moment in time that you and I all live in, this moment that we find ourselves here on planet Earth, God created us and we live here. So what do we do with that? You see, we are to be living in light of eternity. 
We are to be living in light of eternity. So, we understand God exists outside of time. He's not limited to it. He is not stuck in going forward like us. He, can, he exists outside of it and knows all of it without effort in a single moment. But our lives are not like that. We all understand we live in time on a small piece of it. I want us to consider two realities as we think about our small section of time that we live in. Two, two realities that we have to consider. First of all, and this one should be a tremendous comfort for us. If you're a Christ follower, this should be, even if you're not, this should be a comfort for you in terms of turning to Christ. And that is this reality. God already knows your life. God already knows all of your life. None of it comes as a surprise to Him. All of the sin that you committed, if you're a Christ follower, all the sin you committed before you came to Christ, He knows it. All of the sins that you've committed, unfortunately, after you've come to Christ, He knew it. doesn't come as a surprise to Him. You haven't sinned so badly that God would not accept you. It's not a matter of, I can't tell God about that. God already knows, and here, here it is, here it is. He infinitely loves you. Even given all that you've done, He infinitely loves you. God exists eternally. None of that stuff surprises you. And He already planned. He established before time began that He would do what was necessary to bring you from where you are to where you needed to be so you could spend eternity with Him. God had already established that before He laid the foundations of the earth. He had already planned that He would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So your life doesn't surprise Him. No matter how far you think you might be from God, you're not as far as you think. Second reality, our life is brief. The grand scheme of time and grand scheme of eternity. Our life is brief. It is here for a moment and gone. So because of that, we need to live our last day today. We need to live our last day today. There was a movie out years ago called The Bucket List. In a nutshell, basically it's two elderly gentlemen meet in the hospital. One of them, basically he's dying. And they decide, they form a friendship, and they decide to live out their, their remaining days doing all the things on their bucket list. You know the bucket list. That's things that you want to do before you die. Now, the rest of the movie is about their friendship and doing those things. We need to live our last day today. And I'm not talking about the things that you might find on a typical bucket list. What would you do? What if today was your last day? How would you live? Now think about that for a moment. If today was your last day, how would it adjust your life? Would you maybe run off to get a few more hours in at work? Just get a few more hours in, get some more money in the paycheck? Maybe you would run off to make sure you get that last thing that you really, really wanted all your life. Or maybe, maybe go on that trip you've always wanted to go on. To see that one place. What would you do if today was your last day? 
may, maybe you're, you're the type of person that, you know, you've put up so many times with, with people with bad attitudes around you, you just, you take your last day and make sure you tell the people what's really on your mind. Give them a piece of it, just so they, they understand where you're coming from. How would you live your last day? If today was your last day, how would you live? What is it that we could really gain in this world that has eternal consequences? I mean, more hours at work, more stuff, more places seen. Does that really benefit us eternally? As the old saying goes, probably overused, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you when you die. How do you want to be remembered? How is it that you want to be remembered when that day finally comes that you leave this earth? How would you live if today was your last day? See, for me personally, one of my biggest fears is I consider my last day, this really actually goes through my mind on a regular basis. Maybe I'm morbid, maybe I'm just crazy, I don't know, probably a bit of both, but I actually am afraid that when I get down to my last days, that maybe, maybe I begin to check out of control of my mind, so to speak, and I behave in ways and treat people poorly. That's something that's, that worries me. I don't want to be one of those people that in the hospital, the nurses and doctors are saying, I'm glad he's gone. There's a phrase I ran across not all that long ago that applies in here. Some people bring joy wherever they go. Others bring joy whenever they go. How would you live if today was your last day? How would it change things? How would it shape things for you? I want to propose that we live our last day today. See, because eternity is ahead of all of us, let's intentionally live toward that. Let's become more intentional in our life. God created us for more than just this life. We were created for more than just the, that period of time that we live within the ends of the tape in the span of time. He created us for so much more than that. Our bodies are mortal. We all understand that, don't we? I mean, I, when I went to the doctor and had that you know, age 40 exam that you're supposed to have as part of you know, uh, life insurance, the doctor told me a reality. She said, when you reach 40, your warranty has expired and everything begins to break down. We know that, don't we? It wasn't long after that I found myself with these things. This body is mortal. But you know, we weren't created to be just mortal. Our souls are, you could say, immortal. From the time of conception, our souls have eternity ahead of them. We were created for more than just this life. So much more. Here's a word for all of this stuff. All this intentionality. It's called righteousness. Let's live intentionally today. As if today were our last day. I mean, think about it this way. What if we actually did what God said? What if we actually trusted Him into where He was leading? What if we put other people before ourselves? What if we sacrificed so that other people could have? 
What if we loved like God, extended mercy like God, gave grace like God? What if our life was more like how God created us to be, radiating His character into the world around us? What if we were intentional about life and how it is that we live between the edges of the tape? What if? Christianity is to be such that our friends and neighbors and co-workers and the people that we bump elbows with on a regular basis, they see us and they want in on what we've got because they understand we have something they don't. That something is our relationship with God that changes the entirety of our life, not just in, in, in these I-go-to-church type things, but every aspect of our life is better off because we have chosen to love God. See, if we, if we live our last day today and live it for God, living in light of eternity, it'll have an impact on the people around us. There's one more part, though, we need to consider. And that's this. We must all be living with a view of eternity. We have to live in light of eternity. The reality is that there is eternity ahead of us. But we also need to live with a view of eternity. What do I mean by that? Every time you hop in your car, you look at the windshield and you see where you are and where you're going. That is the reality. If you want to be, say, on the beach, but what's out your windshield is maybe snow, that's the reality of where you are. If you want the beach out your windshield, you've got to make some course changes to get to where you want to be. We have to live with a view of eternity. Every human being, you see, has eternity ahead of them. In living our last day today, we make sure that we have the right view ahead of us. As I said, every human being has eternity ahead of them. And there are only two options for us. There is not any other options beyond, beyond these two. This is it. There is heaven, which is eternity with God, enjoying His love forever. And then the one that none of us really wants to consider, and that's hell, which is living eternity with God's punishment. Now let's expand on that just briefly here. Remember, if in this life we reject God's love, if in this life we say, God, I don't want what you have for me, then we are rejecting God's love. And in the end then, God will give us exactly what we've been asking for over the course of our life. And we will then spend eternity outside of His love. We won't get to experience and enjoy His love forever. There's a lot more in there than that. But you hope you begin to see the idea. You see, within this segment of tape that is our life within the span of time, within that, we decide where it is that we are going to go. This isn't determined by how good or bad we've been. There isn't a cosmic scale out there where all of our good deeds are put on one side and all of our bad deeds are put on the other. And at the end of life, it's weighed out. If there's enough good, then we go to heaven. If there's enough bad, well, then we don't. That's not how it works. Furthermore, we don't get into heaven because of some arbitrary thing where God lines up all of humanity and goes down the line, save, not save, save, not save, save. Not. God doesn't work that way. God established a way for us human beings to be with Him. And that is through a loving relationship with Him. It's, it's something that we have to choose to do. 
See, our choice in this life really is all that matters. The choice is do you love Jesus or not? Hebrew word that's translated as love, it was more than an emotion. It, it contained emotion. It also contained a decision. And all of that, those two things, they culminated in devotion. Loving God is an emotion and a decision that results in a life of devotion to God. God created us with the freedom to choose. All human beings get the freedom to choose. Choose to reject God or not. And all of us at one point or another in the course of our life have chosen to reject God. Every one of us. If you're a Christ follower, you have at one point or another chosen to reject God after coming to Christ. All of us at one point or another have chosen to reject God. Have chosen to reject His love for us as seen then in His commands for us. That rejection is called sin. God created us, human beings, to radiate His character. Things like His goodness, His love, His mercy, His grace, His gentleness, His compassion, and on and on and on like that. He created us to radiate that stuff out into the world around us, to the people around us. That's what He created us for. But every time that we choose to make a, a direction for our life that does not go in line with who God is, we are rejecting God's love for us. And the Bible teaches us that that rejection, that sin, it carries with it a debt to be paid. And that is death. Not, not only do we experience death in this life, but it's talking about eternal separation from all the good stuff of God. That's the payment that is due for our rejection of God's love. However, However, when we, when we turn to God, when we come to that point in our life where we realize, God, I can't do this on my own. That's what we end up saying in one way or another. God, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, help me. You know what the awesome thing is? No matter what your life has been like up to that point, it does not matter what your life has been like up to that point. God steps in. See, Jesus has already taken care of what was owed for our sin. Jesus, while He was on earth, He lived the perfect life. He lived exactly as God expected us human beings to live. So that when He died, He wasn't dying for His own sin. Now, all who turn to God through Jesus in love, remember that emotion and decision revolting, re resulting in devotion, all who turn to Him now have what He paid for something He didn't know, what he paid is now applied to your life. Everything that you have done that rejected God has now been paid for by Jesus. But even more, he came back to life. And all who love him, again, devotion to him, get his payment applied to their life, their debt that they owed, so that they get the reward, eternal life with God in heaven. It isn't a complicated thing, really. Living in view of eternity is to see that all human beings have eternity ahead of us. So I say, choose Jesus. How do we do that? 
You've heard me say it many times. I don't know every single one of you and whether or not you have chosen Jesus. So I'm going to throw this out on the assumption that some have not. How do we choose Jesus? Starts by believing that He really is who He said He is. And that He really died for our sins. And that He really came back to life. That He is God. Starts there. Doesn't stop there though. It moves on to us changing our allegiance from living for ourselves to living for God. Oftentimes you, you'll hear in, in church words that's repenting. No longer living for yourself, but living for God. It moves on from there. It means that I no longer live the rest of my life my way, but I am constantly working to live my life how God created me to live. By looking into the Bible to understand what God has for us. And this isn't about earning our salvation, but this is about devotion to God. Because I love God, I'm going to want to do these things. Choosing Jesus includes confessing to other people. In other words, letting the world know, I'm following Jesus. I am a Christian now. However that's going to look like. Includes another step in there, another component. It includes baptism. As Jesus modeled and as Jesus taught. As we read through the New Testament, we don't see Christians who were not baptized. That's the only teaching we have. And baptism is a much bigger thing than I wish I had time to, to go into, but our time is running out as it is. I don't have time to get into all of that. But let me tell you, it does include that. But let me tell you this as well. Unfortunately, many Christ followers stop there. As if all I needed to do was get into the water and shoof, I've got my get out of hell free card stamped. But there's more to it than that. See, being a Christian is about living the rest of your life for God. It is about your devotion to God outweighing everything else for your life. If Christianity were only about just getting baptized or going to church or obeying the rules, then Christianity really would be a religion about obedience and not one about a loving relationship with God which is what it is. That's what Jesus meant when He said to love God with everything we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what life in Christ is about. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about doing all the right things. It's about our love for God. It flows over into everything around us. Baptism, you see, is just one step. As is all the other stuff, that is part of our devotion to God. Living in view of eternity is to realize that we all have eternity ahead of us. In other words, it's choosing to live our last day today. I want to close by talking to both groups. There's only two groups of people. I want to talk to both groups in closing today. If you've already chosen to follow Christ, I have this to say. Live your last day today. Live your life to the fullest for God. And let me throw this out as well. If you are a Christ follower, it is your responsibility. As, as when you walked in, you saw the, sign, or the, the, um, yeah, the signs out there on the wall. The last one over on this side. Found people, find people. If you are a Christ follower, it is your responsibility to find those who have not yet found Christ. But you know what I understand? This is a difficult thing for us. We make it difficult, not that it is. We make it more difficult and complicated than it really is. So let me help you out a little bit. How do you help other people? 
I'm glad you asked. First of all, tell them about your own life and coming to Christ, like I did at the beginning. If you're a Christian, you had that your own experience. You don't have to be some sort of Ivy League scholar to be able to explain that. You understand it because you came to Christ. Share that with them. Let them know why you chose to follow Christ. You never know what in your own, it's called a testimony, in case you're wondering what the churchinese word is. Let them know your testimony, because there might be something in there that helps them, answers their questions. Let them know that God loves them, no matter their past. Their past isn't what God is looking at. God is looking at from our moment forward. Let them know that God has already done what is needed for their life for them to be with Him in heaven. And it doesn't matter how bad they've been over the years. None of that matters. They have not sinned so badly that God cannot accept them. It doesn't work that way. Let them know God loves them right where they are, but He loves them too much to leave them there. Let them know that if they trust Jesus, all that past garbage including the garbage they're going to add to their life in the future, God erases. Because of our relationship with God, God is that loving God who will forgive us. And let them know that trusting Jesus starts by changing the direction of their life. God in His infinite love will help them to become what He created them to be. Jesus' life met all of God's requirements. His death covered all of our debt. His resurrection is our hope, and heaven is our reward. Help people to understand that. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple. Now to the other group of people. If you're you're here today, you're hearing my voice, if you have not yet chosen to follow Jesus, I just have one question for you. Why not? What's keeping you from taking that step? Understand that God loves you. He loves you more than you can begin to understand right where you are. Why wait? Why delay? What if today is your last day? You can't necessarily wait to some later point down the road because that later point may not come. May not be there. Every single one of us, we live in an address and time. we got a beginning and an end. We don't know when that end will be. What are you waiting for? Understand God loves you. So if you're ready, if you're here this morning, you've not yet made that decision to follow Christ, you've not made that commitment to follow Him in devotion, I want to let you know I'm, I'm here. I'll talk with you. Come find me sometime after service. I'll be glad to talk with you, to help you in taking these next steps. Maybe it'll be in answering some questions for you. But I would hope that by me saying that God loves you more than you could begin to understand and that He doesn't hold your past against you when you turn to Christ, I hope that would answer your questions. But if it doesn't, I'd be glad to help you out. And now, for you Christ followers, you now understand how to share your faith. You now can help those who are not yet Christ followers toward becoming one. Live your last day today. I was asked at the end of first service, what would my last day be like? 
If today was my last day, what would it be like? Without hesitation, this is my answer. I would try to help as many people as I can understand that God loves them. That is our highest calling as a human being, to be able to bring other people into salvation in Christ. Live your last day today. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that in Christ you don't hold our past against us. Father, we thank you that in Christ your grace is sufficient for all of our sins.